Welcome to coffeeis.me podcast, where me means you, or more precisely, us. This is the show where your host, Valerian, without using any interrogation techniques, convinces coffee professionals to reveal their secrets to teach and inspire you to make better coffee and earn a few bucks on the side, if that's what you fancy. Let the show begin. Hello, coffee friends. Thank you for spending your time listening to coffeeis.me podcast. I'm your host, Valerian Rala. How was your week? I hope you had amazing coffee, and if you had a bad one, it was only for educational purposes. In my case, life is getting very busy, but busy is good. I still remember the times when I struggled to decide what to do with my day. It was when I was still trying to get a job with Pete's Coffee. <laughs> yeah, when I came to United States, that was my first job interview. It failed. Uh, I guess in the eyes of Pete, I'm a failed coffee professional. That's okay. <laughs> By the way, what's up with Pete? First, they have this pimped, very cool looking food truck running around the Bay Area, and later, they buy Stumptown. Who is next? Blue Bottle? Uh, maybe Verve? Rituals? Has been? Luckily, there are no big coffee chains in Slovakia, so my company Green Plantation is safe. Also, this weekend I was filming with Willem Booth new modules for coffeecourses.com. Uh, we bought six well-known third-wave coffee brands and Willem examined them, cupped them, assessed their roast style and gave some ideas how would he improve the roast. Oh man, he did not shy away from pretty harsh comments. Whoa, I can't wait to put these videos on the internet. The good news, guys, is that these videos will be free as a part of our Coffee Courses launch. I'll definitely let you know when they will be available. I'm excited to announce that this and the next episode guest is Benjamin Myers from Thousand Faces Coffee, and he has an amazing story to tell. He started Thousand Faces in the middle of the forest. These are his words, not mine. They launched in Athens, Georgia, with a Diedrich roaster, one container of coffee, yes one container of coffee, that means 21 tons or 44,000 pounds, and an idea to convince coffee growers that sustainable coffee practices do pay off. Ben will talk about the initial investment they put into this project and how a slow-growing company can be an advantage when your goal is to learn in the process. We will talk about our experiences of getting our first wholesale customers, and Ben will give you a roadmap how to approach your first wholesale customer. In 2013, Thousand Faces won the Good Food Awards. For me, it was a great opportunity to ask if a coffee award like Good Food Awards make a difference in one's business. Is it the same as winning the Aeropress World Championship? And finally, we'll learn why brewing beer is not for me. Few weeks ago, I asked you on our Facebook community page, what would you ask someone who has a coffee roasting business? You guys came back with plenty of interesting questions, which I will use in a second part of this interview. If you want to ask a question, join our Facebook community. You can do so by going to coffees.me website, click community and apply. See you there. Do not forget to listen until the very end, because I will announce a special challenge for you and me. I would be very happy if you join me on this quest. I will also announce the winners of Bootcamp Barista Membership, so stay tuned. Okay, enough of this, let's get to the interview. 
Hello Ben, welcome in coffeeas.me podcast. We met at the Good Food Awards and when I asked you what you do, you gave me a big sight and you told me something like you do a lot of things and it's kind of hard to explain. And I can totally relate to that because I do the same. I, I do have so many things, so many projects in the coffee industry and just kind of hard to explain sometimes what we exactly do. But later on when we talked, you told me that you do the Thousand Faces coffee company and also a nonprofit called Chain Collaborative. Tell me more about this Chain Collaborative. Let's start there. You said on your website that you are connecting the people in a coffee industry. So what does that exactly mean in general? And also what does it mean for a small coffee roaster, for example? Right. So I joined the uh, Chain Collaborative uh, about six months ago and came on as the, uh, the president of the board of directors. And, uh, it's an organization that has been spearheaded by Nora Berkeley. And we, I came across Nora kind of reading some of her, her writing in, in the coffee trade journals. Uh, she wrote some nice articles in roast magazine and barista magazine and reached out to her and started to learn a little bit more about the organization. Uh, the Chain Collaborative's been around for about a year now, and Nora really uh, dove right in there, and she lives down in uh, Nicaragua right now, and she's uh, been facilitating a lot of uh, great relationships amongst uh, various value chain members in the, uh, in the coffee industry. Um, I think, you know, as, as producers... Uh, of coffee or coffee roasters uh, are becoming to get to know each other a lot better each year. You know, these, there's this emphasis on relationships and um, mm-hmm. people are becoming more interested in ways in which they can, you know, give back to the farmers and uh, do something a little bit more than just uh, a fair price for coffee. And so what the Chain Collaborative uh, strives to do is um, – create, facilitate, and contribute to sustainable projects. Um, and we try to, uh, you know, help out with program design and management um, so that coffee farmers and uh, coffee roasting companies can can really focus on, on what they do best, mm-hmm. um, you know, whether it be growing the coffee and processing the coffee or roasting it and distributing it. I think what we do is 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 provide templates and models and guidance and structure for for creating great developmental projects and then bringing bringing the people together, um, you know, relying on our connections and our 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 bandwidth for for bringing the right the right parties together. Um, so in terms of you know how it how it can. Um, be a good tool for the for a small roaster obviously a lot of small roasters um are very you know compassionate caring individuals and they want to make they want to make an impact at origin uh yet they're really uh you know struggling to just you know make their own ends meet and you know deliver their product so sometimes it's it it makes sense to you know to band together and and work in solidarity with with other uh, roasters kind of of a similar size and band together on a, on a project in which um, 
you can bring together you know multiple parties and and create a larger impact. So what we do is uh, we've created a you know a small roaster consortium kind of in order to empower roasters to 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 head down this direction. And um, you know sometimes we, there are a lot of kind of specifics into the into the different projects. Um, but, you know, when it comes to collaboration, sometimes it, you know, you, you begin with an open canvas and it's from there that you kind of create the details. I want to move on to your company, the Thousand Faces Coffee, simply because most of our listeners are interested in a business aspect of the, of the coffee roasting. But first, I want to ask you, like, what did motivate you to start uh, Thousand Faces Coffee? After I returned from the uh, the Peace Corps in Russia, I took a job as a social worker in the in the Bay Area, and I was uh, helping um, severely emotionally disturbed kids uh, kind of emancipate from the the social services uh, into uh, you know being out of service. Being you know once they turn eighteen, they're kind of out of uh, the system. So, you know, I was, I was going around helping them kind of find jobs. And uh, there, was, there was one distinct moment when I was, when I was taking a young man around and, and trying to help him find a job. And I just kind of felt like the odds were just really stacked against him. And I kind of made a decision in that moment that I wanted to kind of be on the other side of the counter and kind of affect change uh, from... The, the perspective of a small business owner. And so I was also teaching some uh, systems ecology courses at uh, Berkeley. And I kind of, I kind of came to a place in my life where, where I wanted to move out of this kind of theoretical and psychological uh, sphere into, uh, into an area where I could actually touch the product I was working with. And, and um, coffee became that, that product uh, for me. Um, I had some friends who were doing their uh, PhDs in ecology at the uh, University of Georgia in Athens, and they were connected to a group of coffee growers in Ecuador. And pretty much at the right time, they reached out to me and said, you know, we're looking for somebody to, to come down to Athens, Georgia, and, and help us start a roasting business. And I just... You know, I had no experience in coffee whatsoever, and mm -hmm. I just kind of, I jumped at it. I said, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. I made a uh, kind of instinctual decision and um, uh, drove, drove across the country down to Athens, Georgia, and uh, we bought a uh, small roaster and a container of coffee from uh, this remote region of Ecuador and uh, started roasting out of a garage in the middle of a, in the middle of the forest. Uh, so, did, did you have any previous? You said you did not have any previous uh, roasting experience. So, how did you learn roasting? I learned roasting through doing it. I guess I just kind of threw myself into the fire. Um, obviously, I, I scoured the internet and the libraries for any uh, resources I could find, and you know, took notes. There wasn't as much literature back then. This was 10 years ago as there is now, but I was able to find some, some, some great resources. Obviously, reading Kenneth David's work was influential mm -hmm. on me. And uh, I went out to, I, I went out to the, uh, we bought a Dietrich and went out to the Dietrich 
headquarters and did a uh, weekend training with uh, Steve Dietrich. Mm-hmm. But that was uh, that was more so I didn't actually burn down the, the house that I was <laughs> I was working at than and just learning the the basic functions of the machine. And uh, you know it was it was quite nice that I only had two coffees to work with to start. I had one from the Pichincha region in the north, and then one from uh, the Loja region in the south. And uh, like I said, I had a whole container of those and no wholesale uh, accounts or no retail business to work with. So I pretty much spent the first two years roasting that container of coffee, uh, those same two coffees. And I think I, I, I taught myself how, to, how, how little things made a big difference. Um, whether it be the charge temperature or how I adjusted the airflow during the roast. I, I, I took my time learning. I, I, I just was in that garage pretty much roasting by myself. I didn't have any employees for the first two years and and just taught myself how to roast. Um, whenever I had a chance to engage with another roaster, I took full advantage of it. You know, I, I reached out to other roasters via phone or email and and tried to talk to him about this or that. And I think that's kind of where I started to really get into this idea of collaboration and, and sharing knowledge. Um, it was so important to me back then when people would would make the time to to chat about this. And so I've always been very intentional uh, now with making the time to to chat with people and and share what what knowledge or approach I can help them out with. Yeah, that's why I invited you to the podcast because you will not believe not too many people like to share. I love to share, but uh, yeah. So I'm very thankful. But you said something which which I think scared most and will scare most of uh, beginner roasters or somebody who's starting the business. You bought a container of coffee. That's twenty right. one tons, right? Right. That's like diving into that very deeply, you know, because. Most of us buy, you know, like maybe a pallet, which is uh, 650 kilos, right? Like 10 right. bags or 11 bags, whatever. And uh, <laughs> it's just like you really dove into it. So you got your Dietrich and you bought a container of coffee. Wow. Well, big kudos for you, man. <laughs> yeah. You know, I we were, like I said, you know, we were ecologists and we were academics and uh, we were very idealistic, uh, you know, the the, the purchase of this coffee was intentional. It was, you know, we were trying to create and, <clears throat> you know, a market for, for this particular coffee. Mm-hmm. You know, we were trying to increase the value so that rainforest preservation work could be kind of empowered by teaching these coffee growers that they could get a higher yield if they, if they grew the coffee in a way that was um, sustainable for the environment to to flourish, you know, I wouldn't recommend that as a way to start your start your business. I'm actually uh, have become somewhat jaded towards kind of any small business having an exterior mission be maybe one of the dominant characteristics of the of the business mission. I think that 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 a new business should be focused on on doing what it does best and not trying to take care of another business. I think if I were to start again, I would probably get a much smaller roaster and a much smaller batch of coffee. (laughs) (laughs) Do you remember what was your initial investment in the the first business? Well, I know the content of coffee was probably expensive, but how about the tech? I personally put in 
about $20,000 into the business to start. I think all told, I think we had about 40 to 60,000 if I can remember correctly. It was it was a very very underfunded uh, operation. You know, I would I would say if you were going to start up a a coffee roaster today, you should come to the table with, you know, 150 to 200,000 to get a good start. Oh wow. But, you know, there's a lot of guys who cannot afford 150, 200,000. Oh, yeah. And possibly they want to start their own small shops. You know, we in Green Plantation, my Slovak <laughs> venture, we started with 8,000 euros, which at that time was like maybe $10,000. And yes, I agree. It's underfunded. And in Slovak, is different simply because the rent, the salaries are much, 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 much lower than, you know, the lifestyle is much cheaper there than here. So it was not that hard to start. It's interesting. So in that 60,000, 40, 60,000, you had also that container of coffee, right? That was... Right. Yeah, okay. How did your first few months look like? Uh, how did the profit came in? I mean, was it a, a steep curve? Was it something challenging? I like to tell people that we were a slow growth business. Mm-hmm. And I think there's there's a difference between a, a business that's a fast growth business and a slow growth business. And I think sometimes you can have slow, which is unintentional, and slow, which is intentional. We didn't need to to make a profit right off the get-go, and we didn't have you know overhead costs that were that were cumbersome. You know, I worked a, another job in the evening, and basically what what we were doing was just kind of you know building building a skill set, building a knowledge, building slowly, so that we kind of understood it right from the get-go. So there were really no profits in the beginning. You mm-hmm. know, there were no profits for the first three to five years of the company. Wow. Okay. Um, we were just kind of, you know, slowly building something. It's good to realize that uh, right. you said three to five years. Wow. So if somebody's starting a business, they have to realize that you have to build, especially if you're going with a low capital in, right? So, yeah. So that's, and then the, the antithesis or the, the other side, not the antithesis, um, would be a fast growth business. You know, you have high overhead, you've got, you know, high salaries, uh, you know, maybe you're opening up in the middle of, of Brooklyn, New York, you know, you, you have to, you don't have three to five years to, to grow. You know, you don't have, you don't have time to learn on the job. You know, I opened up in, in the middle of the forest in you know, Athens, Georgia, Mm -hmm. it was, you know, it was it was intentional. I didn't I didn't know what I was doing. You know, now I wouldn't do that. I think so. I think you ha- you really have to realize kind of what what's your position in 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 the marketplace. You know, are are you are you bringing a lot of skills and know how to the table, or do you want to take some time and develop your own approach or your own way of doing things? And I think that was what what we did at Thousand Faces is we developed our own unique approach. You know, we weren't in a in a market that was heavily inundated with other uh, coffee professionals. So, kind of made it up as we went along and created our own way of doing things, which for me is important. So there well, was no so- no big need to kind of differentiate yourself, or did you have some competition? You had to be somehow different. We had we had we did have some competition. They were they were mostly doing kind of darker roasts and blends, and we were focusing right from the get go on the geography of origin and uh, lighter roasts. That's what how we did it. You know, we came in with light roast and third wave, whatever you call it. You know, these uh, very specified lot. Right. Nobody else was doing it, and it was very easy to differentiate yourself at that time. My Slovak venture started in well, restarted in two thousand twelve. 
So actually, we were a laughing stock for many people, and we like that because <laughs> you know it's now they do it the same, by the way. <laughs> but right. But at that time, it was very easy to differentiate yourself. Yeah. I get one question very often, and I like to ask it uh, from people like you who started a business. How do you get your first wholesale customer? How did our, you get my your first, first? Our first, <laughs> our first wholesale customer. That was that was a friend. You know, it was a friend who is in the uh, in the opening that ran a farm to table uh, restaurant. It was called Farm Two Fifty Five. It's no longer open, but it was a huge uh, success in in the fact that it inspired a lot of great food people mm-hmm. um but that was just you know through a relationship how did you approach them oh i you know i've known them for years it was it was just you know it was something that we were all doing it was something you know the way of, the way in which we sourced this coffee was the way in which everything was sourced at the restaurant you know there was no question as to whether they would use it or not i can i've i've done sales and i'm happy to i'm happy to talk about you know how to approach wholesale accounts, but this was this was a unique kind of family type of relationship. So go ahead, tell us how to approach a wholesale <laughs> account. We want to know. <laughs> With compassion, you need to approach a wholesale account. What I mean by that is you need to have an understanding of of where the wholesale account is at, uh, what's their position, what's what's their what's their needs. And so you have to you have to verse yourself a little bit in into the food and beverage industry, and you have to understand where people at, are at. Obviously, the best wholesale account is one that hasn't yet opened, that mm-hmm. are you know are still deciding what what sort of equipment they're going to buy and what sort of you know presentation they're going to they're going to put forward. And so those are the accounts that you can help help from the beginning and design their their coffee platform with them you know getting somebody going in with a cold call and getting somebody to switch from you know coffee a to your coffee that's that's a very challenging thing to do and i think it speaks to how they run their business that they might kind of jump ship from the previous vendor to you I've always thought the best sales approach was like a spider. You know, you want to create a beautiful web. I hate to refer to wholesale accounts as insects, but you would, <laughs> you know, they would get caught in your web. And so I guess what, by web, I mean uh, culture, product, you know, brand, just the entirety of your, your, your business. You know, you want, you want the wholesale accounts to come to you. That's, that's the best sales approach there is. Um, it's a lot harder to go going to them and knocking on the doors and putting your best foot forward that way. Yeah, I kind of agree on that. All our wholesale accounts are usually new, innovative restaurants, new, innovative cafes. I would honestly never go to a existing cafe and convince them to change simply because, as you said, first of all, if they would change, it also gives you an idea that you know they don't take the partnerships very seriously. The second of all, it feels for me, and again, it's my opinion, that I, I'm kind of pushy and I'm kind of trying to kind of uh, take somebody out, which is not us. We, we, are, we don't like to kind of associate with that kind of business. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I mean, you're right that I just realized that most of the companies are new uh, places. For us, it was also important to pitch a partnership, not only the coffee itself, 
But right. as you said, that you went to the places and you troubleshooted coffee with them, you talked to them, you you know, you basically played together with coffee. We like to do that. We enjoy that. And if the passion is there, I think that restaurant or the wholesaler account will notice that and they want you rather than anyone else, right? Right. You already mentioned some mistakes uh, you did in your company. You already said that you would ne- not buy a container again, etc. So tell us what biggest mistakes you did and, uh, you know, that other roasters can uh, avoid them. Well, I think making mistakes is a good thing. So I wouldn't want to... I wouldn't want to say don't make mistakes. I think you should uh, fail, and failing's failing's a great tool for learning. Lessons lessons you can learn from from my failures, which which I do like sharing. Yeah, I don't I don't see there's any any read any need for people to to make them again. I would warn against kind of aligning yourself with a uh, with a mission. You know, to start, I think it can be very noble and. Uh, your heart's in the right place, but the business has its own heart, and um, it's going to need for you to to do what's best for for that. So just kind of be aware of that. You might approach the market gingerly and and with a sense of kind of grace. I think I was, you know, a little bit of you know, I was 26 when I started my business, and I had a big chip on my shoulder. I, I think I probably still do, but I probably said some things that were a little bit. Uh, too bombastic and probably rub some people the wrong way just in order to get attention. And maybe I would have cut back on that a little bit. But, you know, when you're young and you're hungry and you <laughs> you don't have any wholesale accounts, you don't have any business, you're just, you know, you're, you're, you're maybe a little bit more emotional. And, and maybe in, in that, in that mind frame, maybe you can kind of, uh, with your initial plans, create, um, a little bit more of a, re- a realistic budget. Most entrepreneurs create budgets which aren't realistic. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's great to hope for the best, but you should really kind of be planning for the worst. And so, give yourself, you know, space and time to to grow slowly, if if you can. I mean, it, it depends on on you know, like I said, if you're opening up in Chicago or you open up in San Francisco, uh, you're you're playing with different gods, and you're going to need to make profit a lot faster, or at least. This is going to grow faster. I, I liked your description when you said that you said certain very strong things. I think everybody does that. And I, right. I, I think the reason is because maybe in the beginning we are maybe too passionate. We think right. that we discovered the, the world and anything else is bad. And, you know, that mindset is okay, but maybe you, have, you don't have to be vocal about that. It's right. it's okay to really believe what you do, right? But you cannot offend other people. Yeah, I agree. I, I was the same, by the way. <laughs> so I have to admit yeah. it. I was the same. I was <laughs> I was shouting. Yeah, you come out of the it's challenging because, in a certain sense, you need to have that kind of you know large confidence. But you just you need to have that large confidence, and you need to learn to use it well. What are your best tips uh, for starting a coffee business in order to succeed? The best tips that I can give are to, to develop a, a good approach to the daily practice because uh, coffee takes time and it takes uh, discipline in order to, to reach the level that you're desiring to reach, which is uh, being successful and, and having you know people really enjoy your coffee. Uh, it takes work and it takes time. 
and takes standards. It takes protocols. Invest yourself in the process. I guess that that would be my my biggest tip. I think that can that can be roasting. It can be cupping. It can be ways in which you communicate with others. Having your kind of standards clear is a great way to head on the pathway towards success. So if tomorrow a friend of yours comes to you and say says, "Hey Ben, I want to start a coffee roasting company." What internet book or movie resources would you recommend? Uh, what would be, what would be your list? I like the the documentary that came out of uh, Japan about the um, about the sushi restaurant. I'm forgetting the name right now. I think I saw it. I forgot the name too. Is it the guy who takes his sushi? He dreams of sushi. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that was a great one. You know, I like I tend to I tend to like things from other 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 industries and and kind of trying to. To bring them into my process, um, I really like, you know, Dan Barber's book on the third plate is is a really fantastic book. Paul Hawkins' book on on growing a business is a was a very influential book. Small is beautiful is a is a great book by E. F. Schumacher. You know, I'm I'm one of the, I'm a type that's constantly kind of digging around and and researching different materials to find inspiration from, and I I think that that would be my recommendation is just kind of keep digging, keep searching, keep working until you find what you find what you like and and find what where your inspiration is, and then go with that. Cool, thanks. I I like that. I like that. You know, everybody has their own uh, kind of language they like to right. communicate in, right? So. Possibly, as you said, some people would prefer some other. But thanks for the tips, because obviously, you know, we want to know your opinion. So, yeah, <laughs> thanks for the list. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the coffee roaster because I cannot skip this topic. You said that you started with Diedrich, uh, right? What size was that? Uh, an IR twelve. Okay, IR twelve. Are you still roasting on Diedrich? Yeah. Oh, the same stuff. Yeah. Cool. How are are you happy with it? Yeah, we've been very happy with it. It's a, it's a great roaster. Uh, you know, we're planning on getting a, um, I think it's a, an IR20 is the next one we're, we're looking at getting. We need to upgrade to a, to a larger machine and keep this one rolling as well. Yeah, it's a fantastic machine. Yeah. Do, do you use a sample roaster? Yeah, we're, we, we had a uh, INSA for a long time, which is, was made down in Peru. We actually recently sold that to one of our... Uh, coffee growers that we work with mm-hmm. in Nicaragua to give them a tool to have, and we kind of went back to using a, a Bmore at the shop. Oh wow! Um, yeah, which we find just to be a really easy tool for consistency. It's not a drum roaster, but it's gonna it's gonna do the same thing every time, and it's not gonna need a big warm up time, or it's not gonna be affected by environmental conditions, or it's not gonna be affected by kind of the roaster's skill set, where that employee's at, you know, sometimes we have uh, new employees, sometimes we have old employees. For somebody who's like using it every day and sample roasting every day, and we just weren't doing that. We were sample roasting kind of once a week type of thing. Okay. Um, once, twice a week, you know, sometimes we'd have a, a bunch of samples that we work through in a day. I started with more when I came, mm-hmm. when I moved to the United States five years ago. But my problem was... Uh, that when I got, let's say, samples from some European importer, let's say 12 samples, to roast it on a more was like, for me, a pain, you know, especially if you had to do it right. like uh, many times 
But yeah, it's I love my B-more, so that's why I said, oh yeah, B-more. <laughs> and the sample roasters are quite expensive, so mm-hmm. it's a very, you know, B-more is about $500, if I remember correctly off the top of my head, which is, you know, when you start looking at the sample roasters, sometimes you can start approaching like the ten thousand five to $10,000 range. Oh yeah. I think that this is the one of the biggest, that's why I asked, by the way, and I'm going to ask <clears throat> almost everyone, because this is a big issue for um, for companies, like especially small companies, that they want to test their coffee, they want to ask for samples and roast them and cup them, but they have, let's say, a production machine and they don't have a sample roaster. So it's kind of nice to hear that you use B-more. I personally, we started to use Hookie 500 simply mm-hmm. because it's gas and right. it's more related to our roasters, what we use. But it's also like 1500 bucks. And when I see, I remember I did a video about Hookie, a small review, and and I said, a very affordable roaster. People started to write comments. Are you crazy? 1500 bucks is not affordable. I'm like, well, <laughs> in, a, in a professional world, actually, that's extremely cheap because the next one will be around four or 5000 bucks. Yeah. Know? So it's uh, actually very, very cheap. Right. But yeah, it, it's kind of nice to hear that what other people use because that's a biggie. We want to test our samples and we cannot roast them on our production machines. So yeah. Right. Yeah, I have a Quest roaster here at my house that I just got, but I haven't fired it up yet. Mm-hmm. So I need to, I'm going to, looking forward to playing around on that. I That's think a fancy one. Put, yeah, there, it was, it's good. As long as you have a, a, a really good awareness as to, to the qualities that your machine puts forward, then you can make good assessment on green kind of based on, on those, on, on that knowledge. You know, knowing, knowing what your roaster is going to do to the coffee, understanding what how these green green qualities are, are different from roast to roast. I checked out your website. Uh, okay. I saw your, uh, we have very interesting portfolio. What's your main kind of like philosophy when you are deciding about your portfolio, coffee portfolio? It's changed over time. And right now it's it's really that we have five to six strong relationships with these producers. Our coffees don't switch too much from year to year. We're trying to keep them the same for the next five years and really invest into these relationships, invest into these producers. It wasn't, you know, for the first eight years of the business, I was pulling coffees from all over the place and and educating my palate and having a lot of fun and mixing it up a bunch. I think what I found over time is that from the consumer perspective, this is overwhelming to be introducing all these coffees. You know, coffee is, you know, has Indonesian language. It has Ethiopian, Central American, South American, you know, names, Brazilian names. It's already challenging enough for the consumer to digest what you're putting forward so I tried to I tried to really kind of keep the coffees the same now and invest in certain relationships. It helps helps me say to other kind of coffee projects, you know, no, I, I you know I'm visiting this coffee farm this year. My my dad lived in Ethiopia for a number of years in the '60s, and I've spent good time there. And uh, for me, it's 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 the mecca of coffee. It's it's the you know it's the Garden of Eden. I for that, many of uh, us. Yeah, for a lot of us. I mean, it's the Holy Land. So I, I want as much Ethiopian coffees as, as we can do in, in, a, in a good way. And I think we have four kind of producing partnerships over there that we 
work closely with. Do you buy through importers or do you buy direct trade? We work with uh, importers on on all of our coffees, and um, I also kind of consider that to be a, uh, a f- we also participate in kind of direct trade as well. By that, I mean that we pair the roaster and the and the farmer. We, mm-hmm. we invest in the relationship there, and then we invest in the professional services of people who are able to manage risk appropriately, like an importer-exporter. And for the first couple years, I did the importing-exporting of the coffee, and I was just a really bad at it I learned and um, mm-hmm. it wasn't it wasn't where I needed to invest my skills I needed to invest my my time and energy and in, in growing thousand faces and not uh, managing importing exporting of coffee I do think it's super important to to go and visit the producers and and develop a relationship with them and sit down and break bread and understand what their goals are and communicate to them what your goals are and and realize that that you're in a partnership and it, and there is a uh, an aspect of direct trade that's happening there. Um, the direct trade is kind of the sharing of the information, the sharing of the story. You know, you're going to need to bring together a lot of different hands in order to kind of move that coffee from from Ethiopia to to Athens, Georgia. I totally agree with you on this. I mean, right. uh, I always say to people that. You are, you know, managing a roasting company, not an importing company. And uh, we, I like to work with importers. One thing which I will mention, though, is when you mentioned your portfolio that you uh, are settled, that basically those are the coffees you like to create relations and, and sell. Well, we try to do the same, but we realized that our customers wanted to always try something new. So yeah. I got annoyed in December last year. I said, okay. We give them something new. We're going to give them, we're going to buy smaller quantities of very different coffees. Because my theory was also that it's easier to master six rose profiles than master 20 rose profiles. Yeah. But we kind of a little bit cheated on that. So we decided that, okay, not every coffee will have its own rose profile, but we, you know, we go, let's say, hard beans uh, wash will have one and soft beans wash will have a second one. So maybe we have four rose profiles, five which we alternate depending on a coffee, but we have now a much bigger portfolio and people gobbled it up. People love that. So right. I'm just putting it out there so people kind of try this out, you know, what works for them, what are their customers like, what they like, you know, because in our case, we learned that actually they like a lot of coffees, which is not very good for us, obviously, because we like right. to play with each individual a lot. But yeah, it, it's kind of interesting that how one thing works somewhere else doesn't work somewhere else. Yeah. Oh, 100%. And like I said, you know, this is, this totally, you know, our approach and there's, there's a lot of great approaches that you can, that you can take in the coffee industry. And I really encourage everyone to, to, to learn from other people's approaches, but really find your own. Mm -hmm. And that's, what's going to make you really special and, and have uh, consumers connect with you is, is not, you know, copy another person's approach. Um, for me, like I said, you know, this is, uh, it continues to be kind of an ecological project and, um, you know, bringing out flavors is, is something that I see as kind of ecological work. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, bringing out the producer's identity is, is ecological work. And it's just, you know, it's kind of a life mission that I've, that I've kind of taken on 
And so that, you know, that's why we're focusing on, you know, five or six coffees is to really just build relationships with, mm -hmm. with the producers. It makes total sense. I love it, by the way. I, yeah. I, I wish I could do the same. And maybe we'll yeah. do it. You know, we need to grow. We are still, we started in, restarted because before that we were doing, we were doing uh, like commercial grade, you know, something like Starbucks dark roast, but it right. was really boring. So I actually wanted to stop it. And in 2012, I actually 2010, I discovered the specialty world and the light roast. I was like, I, this is fascinating. I want to do this. So, but still, we have yeah. some time to grow into that. But I love what you do, man. It's great. Yeah, and we we cheat too. It's like we have our standards, but we also, you know, occasionally I'll, I'll find a coffee and we'll just, you know, buy 10, 10 to 20 bags of that coffee because it's just blew our mind and mm -hmm. it's available and we love everything we hear about it and it's a great project that that we're kind of collaborating on as well. So, um, but, but it, it makes a lot, it's made a lot easier for me too, just to the clarity. Yeah. So you have, you know, I was wondering about one thing all the time, how awards, like any kind of award, like barista champion award or AeroPress award or any kind of award can influence your business. In your case, you actually won with your coffee, the good food award. It was the Ethiopia Sukekuto. Right. And I was wondering, how did it change the perspective on your company and how did it change your business financially? The Good Food Award has made a very substantial impact on, on our business. From a personal perspective, it's, it's just a very validating experience to have a third party, uh, you know, give you this award and acknowledge, you know, this quality uh, that's that's beyond the brand it's just pure in the cup you know it'd be judged by a group of of, of peers who you really respect and to be put on the national stage like that is um, is very validating uh, personally um, speaking directly to the company uh, we you know our our largest account came to us through the good food awards so they they literally went on the Good Food Awards and, and found uh, a roaster that was, you know, closest to them. And they reached out to us and, uh, it's, you know, District Donut Sliders and Brew down in New Orleans. And they're just a fantastic uh, partner for us to work with. Uh, now they have, you know, three outlets and they're, they're wonderful people to work with. So, you know, financially, it's, it's, it's brought in a lot of sales. I'm big advocate for for getting out there and putting yourself on on the stage. At at the least, it's it's a great chance to learn. It's a great chance to engage. It's a great chance to to get feedback and participate. And you're going to find value, even if you don't win. You, you're going to come home with with value. Good to know. Yeah. Let's let's do that, all of us, right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, I'm asking because we won. Well, our barista won the. Uh, AeroPress World Championship, which is a different right. beast, obviously. Right. Uh, but, uh, you know, for us, there was no financial reward whatsoever. But as you said, that uh, feeling that you are one of the best ones, it just gives you validation, validation what you do. It gives you kind of like, um, we are doing something right here. You know, we are motivating baristas to do a great job. So, yeah, I, I, morally for us, it was much more than... Um, financially but again it's a different beast so if you win with coffee it's good to know that it actually brings you some business 
Yeah, and we've had we've had employees who uh, who, who have gone deep into the uh, into the competitions, into the the U.S. Brewers Cup and mm-hmm. the Brista, and it's just a lot of fun, and it builds you know builds camaraderie, and it's a lot of excitement, and it's you know it, it's uh, it's it's it you know it builds your team too. It gives you something to rally around, and it um, it's fun. If you would, if you wouldn't have your company right now, but you were the same kind of nerdy about coffee, what you are, uh, and you would have ten thousand dollars, what kind of coffee business would you start, and how do you see your that coffee business in five years from now? I would uh, get myself a, a small roaster, like a you know some that does under a pound, mm-hmm. and I would. Um, get myself a website and start doing uh, mail order coffees and see if I could uh, build a brand amongst uh, my friends and my community and maybe the kind of larger United States and just invest in, just start roasting coffee out of your house and and try to build a brand on, on the website. And then if you have something good that's that's been started something that people are responding to something that people feel connected with then you have uh some material for investing some more um and you're probably (laughs) you're probably not going to have money from from that little venture in order to kind of invest more you're probably just going to be operating at a loss but if but if 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 i was going to start with ten thousand dollars that's probably what i would do just roast specialty, you know, get really nice coffees to roast in small, small quantities and send them to people who want to order it online. Well, it's a, I think that's a good way how to test the market. But yeah, I think, I think roasting at home is a great way to, is a great way to start, you know, start off small and see if you really like doing it. See if you really mm-hmm. love it over, over a period of time, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's just a little passing uh, dream that you're not really into. I remember I thought about I I I thought you know I'm going to open up a chocolate roasting business too and and put it right next door to the, my coffee roasting business. And the first time I went to I roasted chocolate on the Be More, and then I I went to go taste chocolate and I realized I I can't do this I I can't <laughs> taste chocolate all the time on that first tasting and I never. I never wanted to go further with it. Just be, even though I like chocolate from time to time and I love the process around it, for me biologically, it doesn't work out to be consuming chocolate like that. So I agree. It's it's work. It's the same story with me and a beer. Uh, yeah. I started to brew beer and I realized two things. One, that you know when I roasted my first coffee, it was much better than anything out there in a store which is not true with beer. So when I made my first beer, I knew there's many, many, much better, many uh, better breweries than my beer. You know, they have better beer than my beer. And second, the time, when you roast your coffee, you basically roast it, and next day you cup it, and you know the result. <laughs> with beer, you, you brew it. In a month, you can have your first sip, and that's never that best one. And then after three months, another three months, you can, you can have a solid beer or not. Because, right. you know, there's a little like... Uh, dirt or bacteria gets in and the whole batch is spoiled so i was like this is not for me i don't i don't want to do this so respect brewers (laughs) a lot of respect 
<laughs> right. So you get a little feedback with you, with your investment, and you're not you're not in too deep. It's not like you put a hundred thousand dollars in, and then you know you've got no choice but to love it at that point. Yeah, I like it. So there you go, guys. You can you can you can try this if you don't have any idea of your own, but I'm sure that you do. Anyhow, so thank you so much for the first part of the interview. And for the second part of the interview, I prepared something very special. I have a Facebook group called Coffee Is Dot Me, where there is uh, already like over 150 people. And I asked them that what would they ask if they had a question for a coffee roaster or a guy who owns a coffee roasting business. And they came up with a list. So I'll shoot you with those questions and you will answer them, I hope. <laughs> yep. Thank you for listening to the first episode with Benjamin Myers from Thousand Faces Coffee. I hope you got plenty of useful tips from Ben. He's already in our coffees.me Facebook group, so feel free to ask him questions in the comments below this episode. Thank you for all your support and reviews, they keep me going. As always, I'm still collecting iTunes reviews, and this time I set a challenge for myself, and I need your help. 50 iTunes reviews by end of this year. What do you think? Can we do it? What is in it for you? If coffees.me gets 50 iTunes reviews by December 31st, 2015, one of you will be rewarded with 6-month membership to coffeecourses.com. That is worth 600 bucks. Let me add also another motivator, 3 coffees from my European coffee business, Green Plantation Coffee. Here the value is priceless. And, and one mystery coffee. This mystery coffee will be the coffee for my new coffee venture in the United States I might start next year. Or not. But most likely yes. Perhaps. In any case, you will get the coffee. As for myself, if this podcast gets 50 iTunes reviews by end of this year, I'll get myself an espresso gear. I stopped doing espresso four years ago and I think it's time to get back on track. But I have to justify it for myself and for my wife. I guess 50 reviews on iTunes will convince her that I need it. Okay, I'm bad here. I have a very sweet, understanding and cappuccino-loving wife, so really I have to justify it only for myself. So this one is partly on you. If you feel that I should reward myself in espresso gear for doing this podcast, or you want the big win, help me to get those 50 reviews on iTunes by end of this year. Today we have around 14, so we have a way to go. Speaking of those reviews, last week we did not have any winner, so let's be generous this week. These week's winners are Reason Grind LB, Yebabai Victory, and Zorpi77. Drop me an email to valerian at coffees.me and I will set you up with Bootcamp Barista account. Thank you for listening. Talk to you soon. Bye.